Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rapthick. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. One of the big, big issues that has emerged over the past few months amongst tax agents, those people that work uh, with, with people like you out there in listener land uh, to get the tax, uh, tax returns and other bits and pieces in, is what they are actually able to see. There are a range of things that crop up from time to time where uh, tax agents are not able to have full field of vision of the things that you are able to, uh, you, you're, you have access to from government, and it's important that they do. But in order to understand how this impacts the person that is doing the work for a client, we need to talk to someone who understands that. So I'm joined again today by Lisa Gregg, who's a tax expert, tax trainer, um, and also my regular on these podcasts once a week. Lisa, thank you for joining me. Thanks very much, Tom. Now, it, it might be useful for people to actually understand what go what happens when a client comes in to talk to you about getting a tax return done. What can you see at that point in terms of information that is relevant to them? Okay, Tom. Well, as soon as we get authorisation to act on their behalf, I can jump into what we call the ATO portal, or it's officially called Online Services for Tax Agents now. Uh, It used to be called the pothole, as I called it, the old one, uh, because it always used to be down and full of holes. That was a bit of a, anyone who's an accountant and tax agent understands that joke. Um, But now what we've got is the online services. So when I put the details from the client in, which we really require their date of birth and their tax file number, we can then start acting on behalf of the client with the ATO. So what can we see when we do that? Uh, Firstly, we can see the past, say, 10 years of individual tax returns that's been lodged. We can see any business activity statements or or activity statements which involve pay-as-you-go instalments that's lodged. We can see uh, their superannuation balance as well, which is quite handy, um, so we know exactly how much money they've got into their super. And, you know, when it comes to tax time, what we do is we can do this thing called a pre-fill. Now, we just call it a pre-fill, and what it is, is a client will come to me and say, oh, Lisa, okay, Lisa, we want you to do our 2020 tax return, for example. So, from July onwards, um, I can basically run a report that tells me all the accessible income that the ATO know about that has been linked to that individual's tax file number. So, what are we talking about there? So we're talking about if they're a salary and wage earner, we can see their gross income, uh, salary and wages. We can see the pay-as-you-go withholding that's been taken out. We can see all the bank interest that's come in from all the major banks. We can see um, dividends that's come in from all the different um, platforms. We can now see some capital gains type implications. So we can see the sale of shares up to the up to 20 share transactions where they've sold shares on a on the ASX uh, and also if they've sold their main residence or sold an investment property we can see how much they sold it for and what date they sold it for so there's a lot of information there and what we use that for is to clarify and cross-reference and reconcile the information that comes from the client but also it saves the client from finding forms 
you know, things like your private health insurance certificate and things like that, that all gets automatically um, pre-filled into this report for us as well. So what it enables me to do is I give the report to my client and say, tick these off and make sure we've captured everything. Is there anything we're missing? Is there anything you disagree with? And so that makes it a lot easier when it comes to tax preparation time. But remember, all we can see is the income. We can't see any deductions. However, since we do have access to prior year tax returns, whether we lodge them as the tax agent or not, that's the good thing about it. We can actually see if another tax agent lodged from my client the year before, we can see what they lodged on the behalf. So if they're claiming a business portion of using a computer for home um, in terms of a depreciation schedule or how many donations they claimed last year compared to this year, we can do some things to, to check that as well. So that's very helpful. Okay. We know the lie of the land now, given you've described what you can see, what can you not see and what would you like to see? Yeah, well, the big one that's caused us a stumbling block pre-COVID, if we can put it that way, because there's a lot more things that we can't see in this COVID world that we're in. But what happens is we only see the tax elements. We can't see any other gov government elements that come into play. So what have we got? So you think about it. If we've got a client that's getting parental payments, some sort of family tax benefit, AMB and things like that, anything that's administered by Services Australia, we can't see that part of the equation. Now, if they're getting some sort of parental payment, yes, it will come into the pre-fill. So there's always a, a push element from Services Australia, but there's no pull for us to find out what's going on there. Okay, so where this can cause grief is if there's some sort of true up or something of some of the Services Australia payments. So is there a debt that my client owes to Services Australia that they need to pay? Now. When you think about it, okay, I can't see that debt, but what we have now with MyGov and this new online services for tax agent, it, there's very much an all of government debt mentality out there. So you might find a client that's got a refund coming from a tax return, but they've got a bit of a true up of a debt with Services Australia. Now, I can't see that debt. I can see the income that comes in, as I said, but I can't see that debt. So let me give you an example. I've got a client who's uh, going to get, a, say, a $500 refund, just a nice little refund, but they've got a $300 debt sitting in Services Australia. So I give them the tax return to sign saying, is this all true and correct? And will you let me lodge it on your behalf? And will you let me put them, will you let the ATO put money into your bank account, electronic transfer? So there's about three signatures we need when we lodge a tax return. Okay, so they send that. Now, even though us tax agents are very careful with our wording. It says, oh, you know, we estimate, I estimate that you will get back $500. We always say estimate because we don't know what's happening and what's happening in the background. But when the client signs that, they're expecting 500 bucks to hit their bank account in, the, in a week or two weeks, however long it, it takes to lodge a return. Now, if we've got that debt sitting in, if they've got that debt sitting in Services Australia, what happens is I hit the, the button to lodge the return and there's a little bit of a thinking message basically saying, we're going to other government agencies just to check everything's right. Now, I read that as going, we are going to Services Australia to see if there's any debt sitting on your account. Then what happens is the debt comes off my client's 
estimated tax return. So instead of getting $500, they get like $200. Now you'd go, well, that's fair enough. They've got a debt. It's got to be a true up. They've got to pay it anyway. But the problem you've got, as I said, they sign saying, can you can um, we permit the ATO to deposit that money into to our bank account? So instead of getting $500 that they've already earmarked for shoes and handbags and clothes or, or whatever, right, they're only getting $200. So the first thing that happens is they call us up and say, hey, Lisa, how come I'm 300 bucks short? And I've got to explain that to them, right? And that's when I get to find out about it. So even though it all sounds fair, it's just another part of the jigsaw puzzle that we've got to explain to the clients and manage their expectations, and as you know, and as you know, Tom, what we say, what I say a lot of times, it's the things that we can't charge for, which we don't add value to, that causes us tax agents and accountants and bookkeepers frustration. And that's another one. It shouldn't have to be another phone call that you know could be anywhere between ten or fifteen minutes, or an email that we have to address with those things. If we could see that debt when we lodge the return, we can manage the client's expectations. And so they won't be spending an extra $300 on shoes. They know that they can only buy, you know, the the you know, one pair instead of two pairs. So they think, there goes the Milan, Milano Blinics. Well, the, <laughs> the way in which um, that can be fixed, obviously, is for the portal so-called, mm-hmm. the pothole, so-called. I know, it's not a pothole anymore, Tom. We're not allowed to call it a pothole at all, no. Online services for ancients, of course, it's a longer name, but we still call it the ATO portal. You know that. Okay, well, you're not allowed to call it the pothole. All right, uh, we'll scrap that at some point in time, but not today. <laughs> the, um, the other issue that, that's emerged over, over this period of time is the issue of... Um, in incentives or payments for people during the pandemic. Mm. Um, explain to the audience what happened when you you lodged a job keeper form on behalf of clients. Ah uh, yes, okay. So job keeper. So job keeper. I think as you, if anyone wants to listen to the things about job keeper, it's a, it, we've done it in previous podcasts. However, um, there's basically a four-step process or four different things that we had to do. Now, each one of those involved us getting permission from our clients to lodge on their behalf. And the issue that we had with that was, it's a special process. We need to go through you know a different pull-down menu of, of the portal. We're all comfortable with that. However, uh, when we inputted data into it, we couldn't save it. We had to input data and submit at the same time, which made it very difficult for us to get authorization from our clients to do it. Um, Secondly, once we lodged it, we couldn't see what we lodged. Okay. And that's on each step of the process. So I don't know what I've lodged or I can't see what I've lodged with the ATO and if the ATO accepted it correctly. Okay, it's the only thing I could do was print to PDF before I submitted. If I submitted it, it was gone, right? So you might go, well, is that causing you grief, Lisa? Well, yes, it is, because the only way I can check that the form is correct, it's either my records or I need to make a call to the ATO to find out what's been lodged. 
okay? And the ATO are very careful with privacy, and that's really good for everyone, okay? That's a good thing, right? However, I can't say, for example, at step one of the JobKeeper process with bank accounts, I can't say to the ATO, uh, can you tell me the bank account number of what, what I put into step one? Can I confirm that, right? Because they don't want to give out that information from a privacy point of view. So, we don't have, we as tax agents don't see, any, we don't have any line of sight over anything we've lodged, lodged for job keeper for our clients. And that doesn't matter whether they're an individual, a sole trader operating as an ABN, or a company, or a trust, or whatever business entity there is. There is no line of sight. The only thing we can see on the portal is we have submitted step one. We've submitted step two. We've submitted step three. And now what we're doing is we're now waiting for our May declarations that we need to do because with JobKeeper, we need to declare every month. We are waiting now and the portal is down on the weekend to basically do the maintenance on it so we can see it. From 1 June, we need to then start making the May declaration. So we're waiting for a button to turn up that says, yes, start making your May declarations. And we've got that from 1 June to 14 June to get payments for May. Uh, so we're just waiting on seeing that come through. But that's as much as we can see, Tom. It is very frustrating for us yep, because, yep, okay. yeah, go for it. Take me, take, so all you can see is the fact that you've lodged something, but you cannot see the document. Correct. Right? That's an important point of clarity. Just because you can see a mention of the fact you've lodged something for the client does not mean you've got line of sight of what you've lodged, the details in the document, whether the numbers are accurate and whether the, uh, and, whether the ATO records are or accord with what it is that you lodged in the first place. Correct. The only way we can check is by calling up the ATO and talking to the lovely ATO staff who are very, very helpful and very, very overworked, basically saying, can, you, can I just check what I've put in for this? And as I said, sometimes it's difficult because like when we're dealing with bank account details or something like that, Tom, they're very careful about what we can share. I had my last JobKeeper payment sorted out for a client this morning. Uh, the ATO would not talk to me. I, it took me about five phone calls, I would say, to get to the bottom of this. And finally, one lovely gentleman yesterday, and I won't use any names, I don't want to get anyone into trouble at the ATO. But he basically said, Lisa, I can see you've rang a lot of times. Let me see if I can get to this um, situation. Now, the ATO have been calling the client, not me. And the client's been seeing no caller ID on the phone, which is what, how the ATO rings someone. And so I've sent an email saying, Michael, please answer a no caller ID because they need to talk to you and they won't talk to me. Okay. Now, I had the name of the person that Michael had to call back, the phone number of the person that Michael had to call back by this stage, and I was trying to call her as well. But even though my name and phone number were on the, the my client's account, they won't ring me, okay? But as I said, the lovely gentleman yesterday basically said, Lisa, I think there could be something a little bit amiss with the bank account. 
And I'm going, okay, so then at least I could communicate to Michael, my client, saying, okay, when this lady from the ATO calls you, make sure you've got all the bank account details right. And then I read him the Riot Act because he actually, this is one of my few clients, Tom, that actually did step one themselves, which is where you put the bank account in. And I said, did you put a business bank account in? Did you really put your company bank account in? And I sort of, as strong as I could read him the Riot Act. He said, Lisa, I definitely did it right. It was definitely the company bank account. It was my personal one. And I go, oh, good. Excellent. Um, so I'm quite pleased now that he he sent me an email at 10 minutes past seven this morning saying, Lisa, I've spoken to the lady from the ATO. All good. It was the bank account. Now, you're interested, Tom, in what the, what the mismatch was? Because it was just accidental and it's probably good information for our listeners, maybe. Yeah, what was it? Okay, so this client of mine have has always pretty much been paying tax. He hasn't been getting any refunds. So um, he, the bank account details that were in the ATO was his other big a previous bank account. So say I'll, I'll just use Big Four Banks for example. So he was banking with with NAB previously, and it was the NAB business bank account. And then about two years ago, he turned he changed to a CBA bank account. Okay, so the bank account in the ATO system was the NAB one, of course, that is not there anymore. Uh, and his CBA one was the one that he put in his application. And so the ATO were waiting to cross-reference those two bank accounts because it didn't meet their match their systems. Now, I like the idea that the ATO are checking. However, Michael, my client had to bankroll four JobKeeper fortnights while he was waiting for the ATO to work out that it was a different bank account. I would have hoped that could have been a, done a little bit more promptly. And it seems like a, a simple thing, but from the point of view of identity theft and a range of other things, Lisa, it's really important that that, that, that is um, uh, dealt with appropriately by the ATO. We're seeing, we're seeing advice uh, flowing through from regulators for people to be careful about the superannuation mm. um, release uh, scheme that's on at the moment where you can get 10 grand before the end of the financial year and 10 grand in the next financial year. Uh, and there are people who've been targeted by scammers as a result of, of that availability uh, being permitted under law. Uh, so it's important that the ATO does check. But the thing is, if you're the tax agent and you're dealing with the client on that work, you should be able to surely see this information and you're able to mediate. Yeah, it's it's one of those more difficult ones, Tom. Look, I, I, I think it's absolutely mandatory that the right bank accounts um, are, are put down and I applaud the, the ATO of doing that check. I would have liked it a little bit quicker. The other issue that we've got as, as tax agents is that I'm not allowed to deal with clients' money, right? If I, if I deal with clients' money, I've got to have a special trust account and there's very big rules and stipulations on that. I don't like the idea of dealing with clients' money at all, so I don't do that. And that's one good reason why I don't have the bank account details of um, my clients. The only time that I would have them is if they're really getting a refund and I need to put it into the uh, tax preparation software. So no, I, f I fully fully appreciate that completely. Um, you know, I'm one of the... the 
the cohort, let's say, of tax agents where I don't think we should be using trust accounts. So sometimes what happens, and I think it's only like 10 or 5% of all tax returns, is that sometimes you can get the refund from the client paid into the accountant's trust account. And then what happens is the fees for tax preparation gets taken out before the refund goes to the client. And I'm quite against that for the very reason is that you're assuming that the client's going to get a refund. And we know that it's not always that way. If a client gets a refund, especially an individual client, it means that the ATO has been holding on to their money for the whole year instead of it being in their pocket. So what we're really saying is the pay-as-you-go withholding system is not working correctly for that client for some reason or another. You know, ideally in a in a purely utopian uh, tax system for individual clients, when we lodge a return, there should be nil refund, nil payments. It should work out to be that accurate. That's the ideal world. And we don't live in an ideal world. Are there any other aspects of um, the system that you can't see at the moment that would be useful for you to be able to have a line of sight of? Uh They've just solved the big the big one, which was um, we couldn't if we had a client that unfortunately passed away, uh, we basically they got kicked off our portal, as we say. So basically we could no longer act for the deceased, even though we really should be or that well not really should be, the deceased has to put in a final tax return or their estate has to. Um, so that was fixed on the 15th of May. So we can now see dead people. As I say, we've got the sixth sense again. So that's been fixed as well, which is fantastic. But um, look, I think that with the new online services for tax agents, we are seeing a lot more. We've got a lot better line of sight. It's just the interaction with the uh, government agencies that are causing us a little bit of grief still. And this job keeper. I know it's only temporary for six months, but it would have been delightful to have some sort of line of sight of all the forms we're filling in because we've got to be aware as well. We have to do monthly declarations. So we've already filled in four forms to get job keeper eligibility. Then every month within a two week window, we have to fill in another form that we don't have access, don't have line of sight over. We can't save, okay. we can't print. Oh, we, sorry, we can't um, once we've submitted, we can't see it again. Can, can we just go through those four forms again? You People filled in a an email list application. Yes. And that... Then, yes. then they... That did nothing more than send you an SMS and say, we'll tell you where you're at. Then they had to fill in a form where they estimated employee eligibility. Yeah, so they had no. They had to basically not. So the next step would be to actually do what I would consider the official registration, if you want to call it that. So it's basically saying, yes, I am impacted by, you know, for small business and everything, a thirty percent turnover. What month are you impacted by? So you've then got to work out your estimates based on GST turnover, and there's about fifteen different ways you can do that. I'm being facetious, but there probably is. Um, and then. Um, You've got to nominate how many employees, whether you want to nom nominate a business participant, whether that's – so a business participant is basically someone that works in the business that isn't considered employees. They don't draw a salary, don't pay pay as you go withholding and don't have super guarantee charge paid for them. 
So there's that. And then you had to nominate a bank account. So that's step one. And that was sort of, to me, that was sort of the crux step of saying, yep, that's what's going to get audited by the ATO. That's what's getting checked. You're basically saying, this is when I'm eligible for JobKeeper based on my decrease in turnover. So that's okay, sort of so the big that, step. That, that, ship, that, that ship is the one where they estimated the number of people they expected to be eligible for JobKeeper. Yep, that's the $60 billion chaos form. Okay, so we go from what you've called step one mm-hmm. to step three, which is the actual um, you know, form with which the, the business has to declare that employees are eligible and the eligible employees, which may not be their entire workforce, are the ones that get the actual um, JobKeeper payment. Yep. So that's sort of step two and three was a bit confusing as well because step two and three happened at the same time. But basically what you're saying is these are all the eligible employees. Um, we've give, They've met the wage criteria eligibility by paying. We've paid all the staff. We've done all the top-up payments if they earn less than 1500 a fortnight. And then what – and then – Step three was, which was all in the same form, so two and three was combined, was um, what was your turnover for the month that you're claiming and then what is your projected turnover for the following month? And then um, as, you, as you progress, you've got to pull forms in. It, it, it looks great when people announce it, but when you, when you go into the detail, which I, I know we've done on a couple of times during this particular podcast series, but it's worthwhile revisiting it simply because it's important people remember that this stuff isn't easy. It's not a gift that people get. They're being asked to go through hoops to get the payment, which is fine, but it doesn't need to be that hard, does it? No, I don't think so. And I'm just a bit mindful that you know, the, maybe the emphasis, especially when it's getting picked up by mainstream media as well, the emphasis is probably on the wrong elements than the right elements. And I know we've covered that in previous podcasts as well, Tom. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't, doesn't just stop here. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And because it's been rushed through, there's a lot of hearsay and those sort of things that occur that does make it difficult um, for, I think, the, the businesses that are already struggling to know what to do. And also for us agents to look after ourselves as a business, but also looking after our clients' expectations yeah. with it all. And it's a dual-edged sword. So, for example, today I've started sending out my emails saying, okay, is your business still closed down? Or are you sp- m- Most of my clients are starting to think about, you know, defrosting next next month and that's Monday. Okay, so there's various stages. So I'm just going to – I'm basically saying to them – is it true that you didn't reopen like in the last few days or tried to generate some revenue in the last few days? Okay, so therefore I'm comfortable that, that May is still nil. And then for June, give me an idea of what you think you're going to do. And what I've done for them as well as I said, look, this is what I've pulled out. This is this was your turnover last June. What do you think? Do you think, you know, one of my clients is a, is a beautician and we know that all us ladies really need our eyebrows redone and probably need our legs waxed, etc. Sorry, Tom, for going into too much detail. But a normal June would be pretty quiet for her because it's cold, right? But however, since everyone's 
all us girls have been pretty hairy for two months. Maybe it would be higher for her than normal, right? And then another client of mine is in food retail. Usually June's pretty quiet anyway, but are they going to have a higher, a, a lower June than normal perhaps? So this is where we've got to have a bit of an idea. And the additional frustration for me as well, Tom, is that as it says on the form, the actuals for the month we're doing, so for the for what we need to fill in for from 1st of June to 14th of June, just to be clear, right? We've got to fill in what was the turnover in May. And as I said, most of mine will be pretty easy because it'll be, be nil for most of my guys that are doing it for. Then for next month, we've got to give an estimate. And it says a little asterisk on that saying, this is for statistics and information purposes only. It has no impact on your eligibility for JobKeeper. So I'm sort of going, okay, can you please estimate it? And it's just got to be your best estimate that you can and forecast because it's very hard to forecast, as I'm sure you know, Tom, with your exposure to accounting. You know, a forecaster budget is just that. It's, 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 it's the best guesstimate estimate we can do. And that's good when you've got a great track record of knowing what's happening um, with external factors. You know, in COVID land, it's going to be really difficult to estimate. Well, that that's actually a convenient point, to, 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 and a final point to actually talk briefly about, and that is, the sixty billion reportage over the past fortnight has been borderline laughable. When people have said there's an accounting error of sixty billion, I'm still trying to work out what the entry is for uh, a, a number for sixty billion that you haven't even pulled into the system. It's not a liability. It can't be. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, so what, what is it, Debit, how, do, how is 60 billion that you haven't even committed to the system because you don't need it, an accounting error? Because there's no debit, cash, 60 billion, and no credit, liability. No contingent liability, billion. Tom? You don't want to call it a contingent liability? Won't even be a critical line item in the uh, in the financials of the government? <laughs> I thought I'd give that a bit of a pun. <laughs> oh, you can play with that if you want. That's I don't good. Mind. That's, That's right. That's okay. You, you, you'll be back next week. It's all right. You're not getting the sack. <laughs> but, um, the, it, but it's extraordinary that we're using the term accounting very loosely. And the answer, the answer to me on that one always was, well, where's the entry? Tell me where the entry is. It's a forecast. Yeah, there's some calculations, but where's the entry? What's the implications of it from a government government financial point of view? And there are none until you actually commit to borrowing that sum. Absolutely, Tom. There's a lot of things that... And I think it comes down to, I think I've said this before in other ones, where you know I'm hoping that COVID will make people a lot more astute of civics and how our government runs and also finance and I always think it's interesting and if we go into the we're back in black with the budget and things like that it's it's understanding how the government's finances work as opposed to a small business finances work it is totally different in the way and I and I think that that's where um, as again mainstream media sort of sensationalises and bring things in to try and explain it to Joe Average Australian, where I think Joe Average Australian's a lot more in tune with what's going on than, you know, what the mainstream media give, give Joe Average it, it, credit for. The, the, the push and shove, calling this an accounting error, was to me absolutely laughable. And the use of the word accounting in that context, when it's, a, it's an estimate, 
it's a um, it's a forecast. Yes, it is a budget. But when you're talking about accounting, strictly speaking, and you're looking at the the financial impact on something, you're focused on actuals. Yeah, we report retrospectively, don't we? It's historical a lot of times. Our budget is forward looking. Um, but yes, it's it's quite interesting when you you know we we never do a debit and a credit for a budget or a forecast, do we, Tom? It's basically on a lovely Excel spreadsheet or whatever. Yeah, and um, so the use of the word accounting has had me in hysterics. Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay, Lisa, thank you for joining me again uh, for this week. It's been a bit of a bit of a journey through what you can see and not see, where your blind spots are as a tax agent. Um, I look forward to chatting to you again next week. Thanks very much, Tom. Take care, everyone. Thank you.